Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Good afternoon, everyone. Terrific for you to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Rana Devonport. I'm director of the Art Gallery of South Australia. And of course, Ghana Yatanga Yuandi. We stand on Ghana land and I take this opportunity to honour elders past, present and emerging and pay respects to the Ghana people's significant and powerful and ongoing relationship with country. So, what a great exhibition. <laughs> I'm going to be, hopefully, mentioning every single work in the exhibition, uh, Ramsey Art Prize 2021. Uh, brief, brief history, of course, to the prize. I think you all know uh, the history quite well, but just as a, as a quick snapshot, this is the third iteration of the Ramsey Art Prize, initiated uh, very much through the passion and vision of Diana Ramsey, who passed away 2017 and, and left an extraordinary legacy in many parts of the gallery. Really, their names, James and Diana Ramsey, is synonymous with so much of what the gallery does, whether it be the START program for young people and their adults, or the studio program, or our rejuvenated website, or working with digitization of the collection, and of course, their extremely generous gifting of artworks from 1972, which was a very beautiful Japanese lacquerware platter, began in 1972 and will continue in perpetuity because of the very generous James and Diana Ramsey bequests that came to us uh, in 2018. Simultaneous to that, speaking of, of in perpetuity, is of course the Ramsey Art Prize. So uh, initiated for specifically artists under 40 years of age, which is, as we've often identified, a wonderful time in an artist's life. They're through art school, they've been out there in the world, they've made a commitment to being an artist, they're falling in love, they're falling out of love, they're having babies, they're trying to navigate a tough world as an independent artist. Some are represented by galleries, many are not. And they're, they're negotiating through their own art practice as they're finding their own voice and their own way in the world. So it's a, it's a really powerful and fascinating time for an artist. So to have a $100,000 art prize dedicated just to artists at this stage in their life is really quite extraordinary. It's one of the only ones that I know of in the world and it's certainly up there with the, the most generous art prizes in this country. It also means, uh, given it's acquisitive, that the gallery is growing an extraordinary collection of works. From day one, Sarah Contos's uh, Long Kiss Goodbye, then uh, Vincent Namajira's Close Contact, and now uh, Kate uh, Bohannes, Edge of Excess. I was really fortunate in 2017 to be the external judge. I was director of the Auckland Art Gallery Toyo Tamaki at the time, and I was brought in to, to work through, you know, 350, 360 submissions to, to bring down that selection of just over 20 artists as finalists and then to be a part of that decision-making process. So this is a project I've actually been involved with for uh, four years in, on both sides, which is really, uh, really great. And it's really tough for that jury. The jury is, is very carefully thought through with a curator, an internal curator, and we have uh, that curator here, Rebecca Evans. I really want to congratulate the terrific work Rebecca has done as our curator of decorative arts and design. 
and then uh, Daniel Moody Cunningham from Carriageworks in Sydney, and of course uh, Carla Dickens, sensational uh, artist who was in the in the Monster Theatres. So what I thought I'd try and do today is, you know, we've got 24 works. That's about 30 seconds for each work that I'll be talking about. But I thought I'd group them actually, because, you know, how to make sense of an exhibition like this. Uh, and I think it's a very dynamic exhibition. It's a very powerful exhibition with many voices, but it doesn't seem to me to be cacophonous and jarring. There is this kind of conversations that are happening across the work. One of the things we instruct the jury to do, uh, as you know, Rebecca, is to not make an exhibition. You are not curating an exhibition, and it's really hard to tell a curator not to curate an exhibition, because that's what they do, live and breathe, think about all the time. It's about the works themselves, individual works, their quality in terms of the artist's own practice and in terms of um, the, the perception of those works in, in relation to this very dynamic and multifarious emergent thing called contemporary Australian art. So it's a really hard thing to do. It's up to us, and here we have Erin Davidson, the very brilliant project officer who works with the Biennial and the Ramsey Art Prize, to make it into an exhibition. And, and there are all of the physical restraints, of course, uh, and then there's the, uh, the conversations. And one of the things that I think we do tremendously well here at the Art Gallery South Australia is set up dialogues and conversations across artworks. And we do that with our historical and contemporary collection, but we also do it in relation to exhibitions. There's one artist, Hayley Miller-Baker, who was in the previous Ramsey Art Prize, and, uh, and what we see there is a big shift in her practice, which was very exciting to see with this extraordinary suite of, uh, of seven works. Now, I'm going to start not with the winner, but I'm going to start with Hoda Afshar, we're not going to walk around, we're just going to stay in one place, but I know you've all seen the exhibition, and if not, it might trigger you to uh, engage with the works in a slightly different way. Now, this body of work is, is quite extraordinary. She was born in Tehran, lives in Melbourne, and is very interested in documentary image making. Um, the first work I saw of hers was a really tremendous uh, video that you might have seen too at Paul Greenaway Gallery where she, she created a documentary of Syrian refugee uh, from, who was uh, on Manus Island for many years and of course was, was later Buhan Bachari who then was um, found asylum in New Zealand. And it was a very poignant, beautifully articulated film. So her production values are extremely high. This, of course, is a series of nine works looking at whistleblowers, but they're not just, and she calls it the agonists, but it's not just photographs of these individuals. What she's done is this incredible digital process where 110 cameras take images of the individuals and then it's that image is 3D printed and then she takes a photograph of the 3D printing. So this kind of cyclic program and re rejuvenation of image making is really quite extraordinary. And what she creates is these works that become almost evocative or of, of Greek or Roman busts, uh, translated across many, many centuries and millennia. And she's paying homage to these people who have made a stand, whether it be in the political or social justice or in a range of ways, and honoring these people, not particularly as heroes, but as people that stand out. It's a very moving and powerful work. She was first presented 
in Melbourne as billboards, actually. So again, she's taking all of those forms and reinventing that image making and, and then throwing it up on a massive scale. Must have been extraordinary to see those works in Melbourne. She was actually stuck because of COVID in London at the time and didn't get to physically see those works as part of a, a very new and exciting photography festival. Also in this body, of work is Ella Barclay's piece. And this grouping is really looking at new technologies and ideas about surveillance. And Ella Barclay, you can barely see her image, but there she is. She photographed herself with a drone in an Olympic pool, swimming, uh, and she's thinking about um, codes, information systems, uh, these could be computer screens, these could be screensavers, uh, and they're constantly in a state of transformation. And she's extracting her own physical body as a, as a modus or as an icon that hovers across this scenic, these scenic pools. Also thinking about our contemporary world and ideas about the digital and surveillance are the wonderful works by Sam Cranston, He's a Brisbane-based artist, and during COVID, many of you, I'm sure, read books that had been sitting on the shelf for a long time, or watched uh, films that you'd been thinking about but never got around to. And he read a rather important book, but not exactly light reading, Michel Foucault's Discipline Punish. And he was thinking particularly about the Panopticon, this incredibly important architectural device evolved for the disciplinary nature of jails, where the person in charge of keeping discipline was there in the middle of this architectural space being able to see everything. And that's what he's done. He works, he works with Google images. He downloads thousands of images of these, these gorgeous surveillance towers, which are only gorgeous now because they're transformed into this space. But in some cases, they can be quite menacing. He then makes watercolor images of them and then transposes, rebuilds those uh, into physical structures. So you can see it's not unlike Hoda Ofchar's work, the way she's taking an image and then transforming it and reimagining it. So the, these, um, but clustered together, what's the point of having 15 surveillance towers clustered together uh, and, uh, and, and with nobody in that position of power? Uh, to, to view. So he's, he's looking at these objects perhaps um, as, um, as shadows of the former selves. Also, they're miniaturised. There was a wonderful moment when we were installing where there was um, a cherry picker next to the tiny little cherry picker. So it was like this kind of mini-me experience. So he's taking very serious ideas, looking, looking at surveillance, but also looking at the structures in our contemporary world and their connections with power and authority. Also in this group of works, I've put Daniel McEwen, also from Brisbane, and uh, he works with gaming technologies. So this amazing three-screen three video work there is entirely constructed out of uh, artificial realms of gaming technologies. And thinking too, many of the artists are looking at cultural histories and also at literary references. And in this case, he was looking at Max Ehrman's 1920s prose poem, uh, Desiderata, as an overwrought lament for a lost civilization depicted. And also, he's referencing US President John F. Kennedy's economics adage, a rising tide lifts all boats. But what does it mean if that tide brings with it a flood? Also
also in this realm of thinking about contemporary worlds and the shifts and changes, I've actually put in Tom O'Hearn. And Tom O'Hearn is responsible for the extremely hilarious little collage, not collages, drawings and comic statements are on the far wall, plastering a wall. And just to give a sense of his element of humour, there are a thousand works there. If each is sold for $100, that's worth $100,000. So it's his own self-reference to the notion of this kind of artificiality of what does $100,000 mean. And in his case, it's very solid evidence of labour. But amongst that, of course, he works quite autonomously and intuitively, and they are hilarious. So if you spend time looking at those works, um, there's, there's a lot of humour, there's a lot of irreverence, there's a lot of timely commentary and thinking about, there's a, a lovely quote here that Bernadette Clavins wrote, and it says, these drawings are new hieroglyphs, ancient emojis to be dug up in a million years and deciphered without a Rosetta Stone which I think is a, a lovely turn of phrase. The next group I'm going to look at um, is Sigden Adema, whose video work, three-screen video work, is playing up there. She's looking at her own cultural history, looking at the notion of the veil and also the, the, the female role as the resistant other. Her work is looking at um, uh, Muslim and, and Western women, drawing also on drag and performance and a kind of cultural cross-dressing. Again, this work was actually presented on massive screens. So a lot of these artists are not bound by, uh, by particularities of art, of the constraints of art in any way. Uh, next, I'm going to talk about Nathan Beard, who's in the, in the next room. Um, and Nathan's really interesting. He's, he draws on his own Thai Australian heritage. And right now, he's been the editor. He is the editor of a new uh, an important contemporary art magazine called Runway. So he's also an editor and a writer. And in this case, he looks at his own Thai history and his own personal embarrassment about aspects of Thai culture when he was growing up. And here, he's actually cut up Thai monks' robes, a Buddhist monks' robes, and made them into these garlands with these, uh, these, these constructed silicon limp hands with the floral tributes, thinking about the hand gestures, which were tremendously important in Thai culture and their role, and thinking about his, his own gendered and cultural presence. And here I'll bring in Kate Bohannes as well. Uh, and she looks at her own personal history. She had a very unusual background with, with quite a passionate and particular mother who believed deeply in the power of the pendulum and its ability to be a soothsayer or a determiner or a, uh, a guide, if you will, in life's choices. So for, for Kate, she actually grew up in an environment where every decision where they were going to move to, uh, what, uh, what decisions they might make in the familial home. Uh, any of these decisions were determined literally by a pendulum. And she got to a point when she uh, became a mature person of finding uh, a, she was at sea because what was her guide? Who were her guides? What were her, the determining factors? And she then, as any good artist would, actually used this as the basis 
of her postgraduate work to ask that question uh, about decision making. Uh, it's, it's an exquisite work. She is quite extraordinary in that she makes everything herself. So the ha hand forms um, the aluminum and the stainless steel as well as the silicon. So very, very impressive young artist and we're very proud that that work will soon be in the collection. Liam Fleming. So Liam is in the tiny alcove in the, in the next towards the, the, the final room. Liam works down at Jam Factory. He's well known to many of you as a, as a superb artist working in glass, making, making vessels, but he's also a master in cold forming and slump forming. And he has created this extraordinary series that he showed in Melbourne, where he pulls the rug out from his own technical brilliance and then allows this element of chaos to happen with the, these large structures slumping and forming in the kiln. So he doesn't know what will happen. And you can see that with many of the artists, if you're looking at Anna Madeleine Ralpak behind Rebecca there, this exquisitely stitched work. So many of the artists, um, and, and Rebecca talked about this, you can see the element of labor. You can see that these artists through the last year have had a lot of time to be with themselves and to be thinking about the nature of labor. Also laboriously presented and, and exquisitely painted is the work of Solomon Kamer that you'll see in the next room that talks too about her own experience of sexual abuse and her own experience of misdiagnosis in the medical world, but presented in this um, astonishingly painted, articulately painted work. Also thinking about cultural heritage is the Aboriginal artist Kieran Carrot Paul, he started making art at 15. His mother, his, his aunts were all weavers. As a man, as a young man, he was not allowed to weave. So he painted, he made prints, and uh, in fact, he uses a brush made from his own hair as he's telling his own stories uh, connected with country. I met him two years ago when he was in Tarnandi art fair and had a long conversation with him and he was only 17 at the time. So he's a, a really astonishing and such confident artist who was very, very comfortable in the, in the milieu of his cultural home. Uh, Nabila Norden, a crazy work in this, I don't know what you were thinking selecting this artist, <laughs> but it's a marvellous work and apparently her home is just like this, this mixture of, you know, everything, I can't even begin, everything uh, that she finds, the rubbish, the detritus of life, and also uh, the, to make this accumulated sculpture. Apparently that's what her actual home feels like, and it's a living sculpture. I think it sounds tremendously like it's worth a visit. Tom Polo also is an artist that works on a massive scale. Here he works with his, these instinctive and powerful paintings. He was first presented actually, really caused a sensation with an exhibition in Sydney where he painted all the walls and carpeted the floors. The last in that series is, um, is Lisa Summit, again creating an environment from her own imagination and from her own dreamscapes as she sets this very theatrical ensemble in the corner. Thank you very much. Please enjoy the exhibition. It's a thrilling exhibition and I really appreciate everyone's presence here today. Thank you.